Welcome to this edition of the Redheaded Preacher podcast. I'm Richard Lanford, the redheaded pastor and preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie. We are an open and affirming congregation, and in fact, I'll mention that in uh, part of the sermon today. The sermon is called, How Do I Know What God Wants Me to Do? Part 2. And Molly Uchtman, our elector, will read passages from Isaiah 63, Luke 2, and Acts chapter 4 and chapter 15. Before we continue, let me invite you to join me in a brief word of prayer. Great God, bless this time of listening as I ask you in advance to bless this time of proclamation. Speak to us that we may speak to others. Build up our faith that we may share that with others. This we ask in the name of Christ Jesus, who is your word made flesh, who still speaks and shines the light. Amen. Now, here are our scriptures and the sermon. Like last week, these verses were chosen to highlight the continued sermon series topic. How do I know what God wants me to do? Our first reading is from Isaiah, chapter 63, verses 7 through 9. God is talking to Israel about how things were in the earlier days of their relationship. Isaiah wrote, I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, because all that the Lord has done for us, and the great favor to the house of Israel that he has shown them in according to his mercy, according to the abundance of God's steadfast love. For God said, Surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior in all their distress. It was no messenger or angel, but God's presence that saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. The Lord lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. This ends the reading from Isaiah. Our New Testament readings before the gospel come from two passages in the Acts of Apostles. First is chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. These familiar words help describe what life was like in the community of new believers in the church at Jerusalem, growing up, growing now, after the days of Pentecost. Now, the whole group of those who believed were, one, were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions. But everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what that was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. 
He sold a field that belonged to him, then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This ends the first reading from Acts. The second one is chapter 15, verses 1 through 22. There's an item in the new faith that cropped up when a lot of Gentiles were becoming followers of Jesus, along with the first Jewish Christians. In some Bibles, it comes with a heading, calling its topic, the Council of Jerusalem. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Florencia and Samaria, they reported the conversation, the, the convert conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the believers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported to all that reported all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, It is necessary for them to be circumcised in order to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test? by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither of our neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear. On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they were. The whole assembly kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told of all the signs and wonders that God had done through them and among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, My brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles to take from among them a people for his name. This agrees with the words of the prophets, as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the dwelling of David, which has fallen. From its ruins, I will rebuild it and I will set it up, so that all other peoples may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles, over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord, who has been making these things known from long ago. Therefore, I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God, but we should write to them to abstain only from things polluted by idols and from fornication, and from whatever has been strangled and from blood. For in every city, for generations past, Moses has had those who proclaim him. 
for he has been read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then the apostles and the elders, with the consent of the whole church, decided to choose men from among their members and to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabas, and Silas, leaders among the brothers. This ends the readings from Acts. Our Gospel reading is from Luke, chapter 2, verses 41 through 51. We usually hear this on a Sunday shortly after Christmas Day, but we get to hear it in June. Jesus is growing up in his Jewish, Jewish faith. Now, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. Here ends the reading of the gospel and our scriptures for today's service. May God give us a wise and joyful understanding of this, the word of God, for the people of God. How do you or I know what God wants us to do? How do we usually seek God's guidance for making a decision? Last Sunday, I spent time in the first part of this three-part sermon series lifting up the Bible as our main written resource, adding the essential ingredient of intelligent and faithful interpretation. It occurred to me that some of you may already have a kind of outline that you follow for thinking through or praying through to figure out what God wants you to do. You may have dealt with this sermon series question in the past and come up with a process you trust and use. If it works, that's great. I'm just aware of how, how I try to figure out what God wants me to do, and I may be simply projecting me onto others, but it's my belief that most of us, when trying to figure out what God wants for us to do in making a choice or getting through a circumstance in front of us, default to isolation. We try to grapple with it ourselves. We may search scripture alone. We could do our thinking and jotting down stuff that comes to us alone. Maybe even a pros and cons list. We pray alone, perhaps silently, 
and wait for or, or and, and wait for a sacred nudge from the spirit or for someone to walk in and say something which strikes us as the sign from God. That's the answer. After all, Jesus went away by himself to pray. Elijah did not know what to do after the karma, the, after uh, the queen put a hit out on him, Jezebel. And uh, so he ran out into the wilderness. He said it was enough. He was alone and he did call out to God. St. Anthony the Great, in the early centuries of the church, is notable for being one of the first ascetics to attempt living alone in the desert, completely cut off from civilization. Although he wasn't a total hermit, he did sometimes visit a monastery. These give us examples, and others abound throughout Christian history. So it's natural For you and me, if we do, have a default position of going it by ourselves when it comes to this. Add to it the rugged individualism we're told is the ethos of the United States. But it is true also that it's in-person community which so many missed so much during the COVID restrictions. And you know, besides, some of us are just plain introverts. So there. Well, I'm here to preach a reminder. I preach the reminder that community, particularly the church community, is a forum where you and I can receive illumination on what God wants you or me or us to do, to be, to become, or to choose. Some of our best thinking, or what we thought was our best thinking, can lead us to some unhealthy, probably not what God had in mind, situations. Tony Campolo, speaking at chapel at Bethel College when I was a student there, said, Lone Ranger Christians tend to burn out. We are not meant to walk this journey of following Jesus all by ourselves. How else could you or I hope to have faithfulness and success in following tough teachings, for example, from the Sermon on the Mount, except through the example and support of others who are working on the same stuff, having some of the same struggles. And when that stuff is trying to know what God's will is for us in that or this situation, it's a good bet that we can get some support from the same group of folks. It's Father's Day. And although I could not make this sermon focus on it because I stuck with this serious theme, Beth reminded me that fathers are part of these communities of faith that can help us. We are in Pride Month, and folks who are in the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered, asexual, and intersex communities, and in our welcoming and affirming churches, are also in our communities who may be able to help us know God's desires. As Bruce Coburn sang, maybe the poet is gay, but he'll be heard anyway. Maybe the voice of the spirit, in which case you'd better hear it. Like fathers, mentors can be a huge part of our spiritual growth. It's not a common example that I'm about to lift up to you, but it's mine. When I received God's call to pastoral ministry, 
we invited Dick Kazelka, my home church minister, uh, over to our house to talk with me about it. He gave some good advice, and at least one trait that you should have if you answer this call. Participating in a congregational meeting while home from seminaries a couple years later was key to my deciding to stay in the United Church of Christ and not bolt for the Presbyterian Church, which I was thinking of doing. When I was trying to figure out whether to accept an invitation to come to Chicago for St. Nikolai, I called another mentor, Dave DeRemer, who pastored the church I served as a field education seminary student pastor my final year to get his take. These are all part of the community, gathered or scattered. I imagine several of you can still cite mentors in your churches who make or made a real difference in the choices you made or did not make. Communities have mentors who help us come closer to knowing what God wants us to do or refrain from. Who are or were some of yours? And then there is just getting some wisdom from each other. Members of the Women's Guild, for example, share past experiences with the choices they've made. They give advice that makes a difference. No church, community, no guild fellowship. There is also the huge prayer support that we can give to one another because we can trust them enough, one hopes, to be vulnerable to share such requests or needs with them. I recall saying on Mother's Day last month that church is or is, ought to be a place for moms who want to be joined with others and not only by themselves, to be joined with others who pray for their families. Some of us are too, too reserved or too shy to share such requests within the church community, but those of us who are miss out on something if they really do trust the souls there. Prayers, which you or I offer when we're trying to know what God wants us to do, do not have to be offered by ourselves alone. They can be offered up if we share the questions or in silent prayers together. And sometimes there is, there is where we get answers or nudges from the Holy Spirit. I still remember a, an acquaintance at seminary leading a group of us saying, let us not, um, you know, join me in this prayer. Let us not storm the gates of heaven alone. And I always enjoyed that idea. We're all storming the gates of heaven with our prayers about whatever it was. Sitting in worship, listening to the scriptures read by the lector can touch us to know. All of this help and support is here and not with us by our solitary self. God uses it, and we're making ourselves available to it. This congregation, almost three years ago, had a decision to make and discernment to see if it was God's desire for St. Peter's to become an open and affirming congregation. There was discussion before the meeting, of course, and that had been, I'm not going to rehash that and how we did it. Most of you remember those coffee hour discussions and beyond. And some agreeable disagreement before the vote at the congregational meeting. And something said by today's lector at that meeting 
I believe, was instrumental in helping some undecideds vote yes in favor of accepting our open and affirming covenant and becoming open and affirming. We cannot engage in this unless we are a church community together, listening to each other, to the scriptures interpreted, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, of course, before making choices, before making decisions. And the same is not only true for like that congregational meeting, but for council meetings. They always begin with prayer. Now, I could go on about how God speaks through the community and to the community in helping us know what to do. There are times it is less possible than it sounds. When I had to discern if God was calling me to answer the invitation of St. Peter's to preach a trial sermon, I could not ask St. Nikolai for support or guidance. I called Tom O'Connor, my predecessor at St. Peter's, in a conversation, he encouraged me to say yes. That was a pretty significant part of my figuring out this is what God would have me do. To me, Tom was a part of the community of faith at large. Now let me shift gears on how communities of faith can help us know what God wants us to do. We know the axiom that those who do not learn from the past are condemned, or do not learn from history, are doomed to repeat it. Thus spoke George Santayana. Edmund Burke of Britain said something similar. Those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. And lastly, we have those who forget history are doomed to repeat it in Sunday school. Excuse me, summer school. Thank you, Josh Stern. Repeating past mistakes is probably not what God would want any of us to do. So where can you or I have an inkling of a history of God's faithful in Christ? The church as a whole is a repository of our history. And you can see broad swaths of where, yeah, there's a lot of stuff we regret and repent of, and there's a lot of good stuff that's going on. Our history includes that of the first people of the book, Israel. From passages like Isaiah 63, we know we are to remember God's gracious acts. I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, because of all that Yahweh has done for us. I believe that you and I need to remember these loving actions, as Israel does, including for us those of Christ and the early church, because as human beings, we tend to forget. We need to be reminded. Do this in remembrance of me. We need to be reminded. And here, it happens. Yes, we can, and we do learn a lot from high school and college history classes. But will they understand the sacrificial love that's behind so much of it? Will the positive aspects of our history be lifted up, like the fact that during the Dark Ages it was monasteries and abbeys that kept a lot of Western culture alive, so it could be shared again when the ages shifted? The churches are responsible for the creation and management of universities, of hospitals, and reaching out to the poor as Jesus taught. How faith was and is excuse me, how faith was and remains foundational to the labors for civil and human rights in creative, nonviolent ways. Particularly, it is our larger history.
though we do not always tell it in the best way, for we are fallible human beings operating under our own cultural lenses that we inherit. We are its source. We're the ones who can tell it. Knowing our histories can help you or me or congregations get an understanding of God's desires for the future and the errors not to repeat. It is also from such history that we find the mystics, the theologians and artists of the past who enrich our spiritual lives when we learn from them. And we often learn of them in community, such as in the Bible study, the Lenten Bible study, and those that happen in the summer and other times are other opportunities within St. Peter's community of faith to have our faith enriched. And, of course, our church history, writ large, includes working to liberate those not truly free. The church gathered is also where you and I can observe how to make faithful decisions as a congregation or denomination. We saw God's will for the early church worked out in the first readings from Acts, where everyone shared their possessions. And folks such as Barnabas were very, very generous in order to help the impoverished in their Jerusalem church. There was a detachment then from the need to own what is ours and the start of sharing them in common so that all may have enough and none may be in need. We saw in Acts 15 an example for working out church differences. A study of Acts 15 shows the church that we can disagree. It's okay, though Paul says, oh, be united in heart and mind. Here's a church that it's, it's okay to have disagreements. And here is how that argument was resolved. If we believe God wants a church community to peacefully work through a strong disagreement, like they did, it can help us answer how do I know what God wants us to do when there is a split in a faith community? Like I said at the start, Christian community should be seen as a forum in which, in whom, we can receive illumination on what the Lord wants you or me or us to do, to be, to become, or to choose, or not to. There's a process in Acts 15 that we who seek God's desires in dealing with contention can study maybe how God wants us to handle big decisions as seen in this chapter, which takes me back, incidentally, to last week's emphasis on intelligently interpreted scripture as a guide. So there's a place for honest forthrightness in the process. Molly read... And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, this wasn't just you know, a, a friendly disagreement. No small dissension and debate between them, which one writer rephrased as turbulent quarreling. Appealing to Antioch raised some hackles. But James, using Peter's new revelation about Gentiles from his vision, with confirmation by Peter's experience via Cornelius, which happened after the vision, and with testing by scripture, in this case James quoted from Amos 9, he had the proper measurements for the church to make a call. That method of debate is a useful guide for the church in some situations. Thus it can help a community of faith 
learn what God wants them to do and not do when there's dissension. So how can you or I know what God wants me or you to do? Well, last week I said, well, interpreted scripture is a key source. Another major place is the church community gathered or scattered. Here we find support and direction through prayers, exposure to scripture, conversations, relationships, worship, study, and through mentors, fathers and non-binary brothers and sisters among them, and history. As people of faith and goodwill, learning what we are meant to do may take a church. It's just the idea about, well, it takes a village, it may take a church or a church community or a denomination. And imperfect as churches are, we're well aware of that. We're human. This is still good news. We are not supposed to follow Jesus all on our own. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you found the message inspirational and maybe challenging, but I'm glad that you dropped by and and gave us a listen. Next Sunday will be June 27th. Uh, I will conclude this three-sermon series on trying to know what God wants us to do, and uh, it will also be Pride Sunday, and that will not be forgotten either. So, thanks once again, and may God bless your week. Bye.